Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome everyone to the Aging Fearlessly program. My guest today has experienced a few very difficult years after suffering a car accident and a very slow recovery. So in the studio today is Jim Bullard and he's going to share his journey and it's truly, truly inspiring as many of us would have just given up and sat on the couch. So welcome Jim, I'm so glad that you came to share this story today. Yeah. Hi. How are you going? Jim, tell us a little bit about you. Where have you come from? Okay. So um, i got to say I came from my mum. <laughs> oh, really? Thanks, <laughs> yes. thanks for sharing that. Yeah, she, she constantly says, you know, you know where, did you meet? where did we meet? And I say, where did we meet? And she says, yeah, we met you know, in the womb. And I went, thanks, mum. I didn't need to know that. <laughs> so, you know, um, she's a good, big advocate of mine, is my mum. So um, I, where did I come from? Where to start? Okay, 99, I had a car accident. I had a traumatic brain injury from that. Um, was going home from work. Um, I don't want to talk about that, I guess, um, at all, but it's the recovery. Um, was in hospital for uh, several months. I was in a wheelchair for a couple of years. Um, and, uh, you know, April Fools, the doctor said, hey, you're never going to walk again. You're never going to be out of the wheelchair. Um, and... Since then, I'm now uh, Ocean Swim. I'm running endurance events. Um, so don't tell us too much more. No, I okay. want to ask a question. Yep. I can imagine that the feelings that would have gone through, and the thoughts, sorry, and how I might have felt when I was told I'd never walk again. Can you explain what that was like? Uh well, basically, they said, yeah, you're never going to walk again. Yeah, we want to give it to you straight. And it was basically, hey, well, that's fine. If I'm never going to walk again, I'll be dead in six months because I'm not doing that. I'm, you know, I will either walk again or I will top myself, basically. And a lot of people probably have that same reaction. You may have even met some people in there that were in, in hospital with you that were in similar situations. Oh, very much so. Uh, I did a lot of my rehab and, my, and that um, at the brain injury unit at Liverpool Hospital, and I met a lot of a lot of people there. And there were people there who had exactly the same clinical injury as myself with the traumatic brain injury, um, but their symptoms were everybody's symptoms were a lot different. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't walk. I had no use to the left side at all. I had no feeling, uh, no taste, no smell, no smell. Uh, well, no I, smell. I, I smelt. <laughs> I, I smelt, but I couldn't actually smell or taste anything. So um, yeah. Uh, so I get all the smelly jobs at home now. Um, <laughs> but um, and I had le- I had speech difficulties. I couldn't spell. I had to relearn how to pick things up, how to do things, how to cook. So yeah, it was. It went on. So, but everybody was very different. Um, you know, I met people there who literally had given up, yeah, and were you know I was an outpatient, and I had um, a 
a rehab routine that I would run through and I would be my work kept me on during that whole period so I'd travel from Liverpool into the city every morning at about 4:30 uh, in my electric wheelchair uh, it had to be electric because of only one side it would be like uh, if I was just pushing myself in a manual it'd be just going around in circles <laughs> getting nowhere you'd be still at the station <laughs> uh, well yeah I can talk about that too I, I stayed at the station a couple of times where they missed me but anyway um and I just would get up I'd go into work on the train and on the train I would do my rehab my, my entire rehab session on the stairs on the train because it's almost empty so I'd actually do my things like you know, learning trying how to walk and standing and um, then I'd get to work and I'd do an eight-hour day and then I'd get back on the train and I'd do some more stuff. I'd go straight to Liverpool, to the hospital. I would do my rehab sessions at the hospital, go home and maybe even do it again. So I was doing my rehab my, my rehab program uh, at least twice a day, every day. Mm. And I found out uh, a while into my thing that a lot of people who were inpatients were doing maybe 10% of their actual rehab program over an entire week. And it was like, I just, I, I couldn't fathom that. It's like, well, have you, you know, and these people just, you know, would, I don't know whether they had lost the will or it was just like, it was too hard. They were in pain. I just looked at it and went, the only way I'm going to get back to walking and get to do the stuff I want to do is if I do it. Because the only person who's interested in me is me, really. That's a very good point. And attitude plays a huge role in in what you're describing and I think that having some goals and seeing a future you were looking at a big picture I think I actually my goal was purely I'm going to walk that's it um I, you know I didn't set any other goals like I want to run a marathon or I want to do you know a couple of push-ups or but it was just I'm going to walk I'm not going to be in this wheelchair that's it so one goal one focus one focus yeah, yeah. and so going about that step by step step to achieve that goal exactly and i mean the you know the journey of a thousand miles it starts with that first step and that's a good quote it is i like it <laughs> i'm like i like the you know you know um it's a very famous quote yeah it confucius as, as a lot you know i've looked at him a lot for a lot of his quotes and that that and sun tzu but um it's it's one of those things that i had to do it i actually met a young man in rehab who um, had had a skating accident, skateboard accident, wasn't wearing a helmet, and had very similar injuries and disability to what I had. But I was seeing him not doing anything, and he'd come out of his room, and I could see his mum there, like, you know, really sad because he'd do a couple of things, and then say, oh, I'm, I'm in pain, I want to go back to my room. So they'd take him to his room, you know. And I actually challenged him one day. I just, I was doing um, uh, bridges, you know, on your forearms. Uh, what do they call it? Uh, not a not a push-up, a, uh, a, a plank, plank, a plank yeah, on my forearms, on the bed, and it was like, you know, I had a timed plank, you know, and I was yelling because I'm, you know, motivating myself. You know, it's like, you know, the old warrior ethos, you yell so that you actually G yourself up. And he was just looking at me, and I just looked at him and said, yeah, you, you can't do this. Go, you know, just keep walking. Just, you know, the old, um, I'm going to, you know, treat you a little bit harshly because, you know, that might, Everybody else is Get into be, his mind yeah. and go, you know, yeah, yeah. You're yeah everybody's f- being nice and saying, oh, we'll, we'll help you out. Tough it's love. Okay. Yeah, tough love. So I just I just keep walking. You couldn't do this. And he sort of, he, he kept going. The next day I, I did it to him again. I said, you know, you know, where are you going? You know, you've done nothing. You know, you're not going to get any better. Your mum's sitting over there. She cries because you're not doing anything. And it's like, you know, 
and he came over. Sorry, it's a bit emotional. Oh, he came you're over. Allowed and, to be and, emotional. And um, and we're on this on this bed, you know, one of these those beds they move on, and we were nose to nose in a plank position for about twenty seconds, and. I'm just looking at him and I say, come on, you can't do it, you can't do it, come on, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't beat me. And he, he did about 18 seconds and then collapsed. And I did about 25 seconds. I never, ever once let him beat me. But, oh, my God, it was close a couple of times. And we just started doing that on a regular basis. And he'd come out and it was like his mum came and saw me one day and she came over and I said, oh, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to have a go at your son. And she went, she was crying and she just said... That's the first time he's ever actually wanted to do anything, you know. And it was like, okay, cool. So, you know, I can't even remember what the boy's name was, you know, where he's at now. Um, But it was just got me thinking, you know, there is no matter what I'm going through, no matter how bad I think my situation is, there's always someone else who's having a worse day. Mm -hmm. You can always find someone else who's having a worse day. So, you know, it's sometimes I forget that. And I'm thinking, you know, woe is me. And then I sort of stop and I think, or somebody makes a comment or I see a, a Facebook post or something and I go, shit, you're having an even worse day than me. So, you know, touch base with my friends, you know, because all my people on, on Facebook are friends that I, I touch base with on a semi-regular basis. And, you know, say, hey, how you doing? You know, I, I see you're having a hard time and, you know, we talk. So I, yeah. That's that is. I think that the motivation for me then was more about I need to get better so that I can help somebody else. And you know, you are a big burly bloke, and you know you're sitting here all very emotional. And I think that's another really important message. And sorry, I've got tears <laughs> rolling down my. You're not supposed to do this to me, Jim. But you know, it's so real, and I think that's really important. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. So we're in the studio of Ageing Fearlessly with Jim Bullard. And Jim, I wanted to talk about change in personality and how this accident actually affected you. Um, Well, I am... How it affected me? If you talk to my family, like from what they remember before the accident, which was now over 20 years ago, um, a lot of psychological changes. I'm a lot more in your face now, a lot more expressive, a lot more emotional as well. You know, it's like I'll see a a cat ad, you know, cat food out on the TV and I'll start crying. And it's like... Oh, you're just a softie. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what some people say, you know, it's just uh, don't tell the people that work for me. (laughs) So you see a cat ad? I see a cat ad and, you know, I might just, just burst into tears or there'll be tears rolling down my, my face or something like that. You know, it's like, I'm not even really upset. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's just just emotional thing. So, yeah, I deal with it. It's been over 20 years. I I'm, I'm, have no problem with it. But, um, you know, there are some times when I've actually got to sit down with people and have a hard conversation with them and, I'm, and, I'll, and I'll cry. And it's like, and they, they're looking at me going, What's wrong with this guy? It's like he's this big guy, he's this six foot tall, buff, buffy bloke, you know, having having a few tears going on. It's like, you know, you're all right. Yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. You know. Does it bother you that you cry more? Um, it used to. It doesn't now. I um it's it's just part of me. It's you know? 
Well, that's the thing. It's been, as I said, it's been over 20 years. A lot of this stuff is now just a part of me, and I, a lot of time I don't even notice it. Yeah. So how long were you actually in a wheelchair? I was in a wheelchair for about 12 months, um, and part of my rehab uh, was to get a, a recumbent trike. So that's one of those ones that's got the two wheels at the front, wheel at the back, and you actually it's really low slung. So you may have seen them. You sort of steer with your hands underneath the seat, mm-hmm. um, and your pedals are right out the front. So you're, you're, you know, oh, I know what you mean. In a reclined position. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. it's a trike. So um, I got that. I had one of those built, and I was using that. And as soon as I got it, I sent the electric wheelchair back. And I had all my rehab people say, oh, no, 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 you need to keep it. I said, well, no, the, I've got the trike. I'm moving on. Yeah, I'm moving on. I've got the trike. If I stay in the wheelchair, oh, but what happens if something happens, you have a relapse or something like that? And I went, no, one side of me works fine. The other side doesn't. It will learn. And it will learn to pedal because I'd strap my feet in. My left side will learn to pedal because it's actually just following what the right side's doing. Oh, but you should keep it. I said, no. They wanted me to actually get the wheelchair, the electric So they were sort of trying to hold you back. Yeah, they were. Well, not hold you back, but they were. They were trying to be nice. Yep. And with me, it's like, don't be nice. Just tell me what you want me to do. Tell me how many reps you want me to do, and I'll do it. And if I can't because I physically can't, well, then you know, I can't. But I'll do as much as I can. And that's always what I've done. I'm just going to push through and do what I can. Don't say, I'd like you to do five. Tell me I want you to do 20, and if you get five and that's all you can do, that's all you can do, but I want you to do 20. Mm. Yeah, don't undersell me. Yeah. You know, that's it. So there was also a bit of personal tough love going on there and oh, drive. Very much so. I mean, it's, um, I mean, I always say I've got a perfect face for radio. Yeah, you it's, have. I have, yes. Yeah, so just don't put me on TV. <laughs> you know. um, but it's, I, I find I have to because I find there's, a lot of people I know tend to be like they talk themselves up. It's like I'm completely the opposite. I, I don't talk myself down, but I just go, no, this is what we're going to do. Let's carry on and do it. Let's crack on and do it. You talked about your left side not working mm-hmm. uh, the way it did in the first place, and it still doesn't today. No. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I had no feeling on the left side at all. It's called hemiparesis. So it's like there's no feeling at all. And like you'd poke my tongue and part of it, yeah, you'd. It was weird. I, I don't really understand what it is, but it's sort of like I had a bit of a disconnect in the brain somewhere, and I don't know. I don't really quite understand it all. It's but a brain injury. Does anyone completely understand that? Exactly. I, I kept on getting told, if you'd had a spinal injury, we could have fixed it. To brain injury, nah, can't help you. You know. Yeah. So um, it it was like I would go through and I'd do the actions. Like So I'd be cycling on my recumbent trike, and the left leg was just following what the right leg was doing. And eventually, I would just you know, put a bit of try and put pressure on, and I, would, I actually got to walking again and being able to, to cycle on the recumbent um, and, and do things. You know, I had to go through and teach my hand how to actually work. So I would go through picking up you know, peas and beans and things like that, and use it like a claw, so like a, a crane. Or I'd, I'd train my, I'd say right. Arm go out, now arm go down, now fingers open, now fingers go down, now fingers close around the bean, now fingers lift up. And so it was all this, like, you know, actions like do this, do this, do this. And I I just found that I I slowly did that and, you know, they had the rehab people working with me and that was how I could picture that was what I needed to do. So they may have wanted me to do one thing, but, look, if I can't – understand exactly what they mean if i'm able to do it in a different way then let's do that so 
this is a lot of physical rehab. What about psychological rehab? Um, I had a psychologist and a psychiatrist that I saw um, every week or so. Um, a lot of that, a lot of it I understood because it's like I understand what's going on. I was very much, I had a lot of time to think about myself, my, my internal, and know when I was feeling depressed because I was depressed. Yeah. Um, you know, my family really didn't see a lot of it because it was like, you know, here am I, I'm the breadwinner, I'm, you know, this is, I'm dad, you know, dad does everything, you know, you know, hey, dad, can you do this? Of course I can. You know, can you do that? Of course I can. You know, now I'm this guy who needs to get pushed around in a wheelchair and you know, mm. fed and, and helped with bath, bathing and things like that. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, I do my own stuff. And I had to go through with, the psych, with both the psychologist and the psychiatrist, going through looking at internally and how I actually worked through that. And I understood I was depressed and I understood when I had panic attacks mm-hmm. and I'd say, yes, I know I'm having a panic attack and what I need to do is try and get myself away from it. People would say, oh, I'll try not to have it in the first place. It's like, well, I can't sit here and just constantly be you know, monitoring myself. It's like something happens, I'm now in a panic attack, all right, I want to remove myself from the area. I can't work on the panic attack, but I can move myself out of the area and you know, to help myself. So I, I understand myself very well, you know, and I talked to the, both of the psychs and they understood where I was coming from, so we worked really well together. So didn't really help. I was still depressed, but I knew why I was depressed. So, you know, I think that a lot of the time that's a key indicator. Of, you know, I know why, so mm-hmm. now I can help to, to work on it. Yep. Yeah. So. so the catalyst, do you think that, you know, the one, is there any one thing that made you, you know, yes, you wanted to walk again? Was there another catalyst or something that got you going? Um, my kids... I didn't want them to see me not able to do stuff. I didn't want my family to have to be looking after me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, and that's that's something I just go, you know what, I don't want that. It'd be easy, simpler and it'd actually be a lot more financially beneficial if I had died in the accident. Because mm. if I died in the accident, like, yeah, they get a couple of million from insurance and everything else and, and that. So, But they lose a dad. But they lose a dad, you know. So... I mean, obviously, you know, I was depressed and, and, you know, the psychs would go, so have you ever thought of killing yourself? I said, of course I have. Mm -hmm. I don't go through with it because I look at all the problems it's going to cause my family and, and, you know, they're more at risk of suicide if if I do it. So how can I do that to them? But I've thought of it. Of course I have. I think everybody does at some point. And just most people just say, oh, no, no, I wouldn't think of that. So, you know. I want to talk about something that you're going to be doing you've done it before and you're going to do it again this year welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3 your community radio station you are listening to aging fearlessly with karen please go to facebook and like the page aging fearlessly This is the Aging Fearlessly program with Karen Sander. My guest today is Bull. I'm going to call you Bull, Jim Bullard. And we're talking about part of his life story, a car accident, his recovery. And you mentioned to me, Jim, that in 2012, you hit 150 kilos. Uh, yeah. 
That's not very small. Well, no. And I will say in my defence, I was still active. I was still going out and walking heavy, carrying packs, doing a bunch of stuff, cycling on my recumbent trike at that point. Basically, because of the the car accident, the time spent in the wheelchair, uh, and that the nutritionist all said, your metabolism has basically stopped. Mm. And it's like you've just shut down. And it's like, you know, to get you back, you need something like a, you know, a stint in Changi prison or, you know, it's like... (laughs) I don't think so. Yeah, I know. Something like that. They said, what you need is something to kickstart because it doesn't matter what you do because I was I was dieting uh, I mean well, anything you eat is your diet anyway so yeah. but you know I was eating the right foods I was exercising and it couldn't come off and in 2012 so I was 150 kilos in 2012 I've got a uh, a work trip I was in Thailand and I'm Buddhist and I went and saw you know, as I normally do around there, I went and saw um, the monks in the local temple where I was visiting. Sat down and, and just talked with this um, this the monk for I don't know, it was probably about five hours. And I don't know, just some of the things he said sort of resonated to, with me. And it wasn't until I got home and I said I was still doing exactly the same as what I had been doing, and suddenly I was starting to lose weight. Mm. And it was, you know, I couldn't put. There was nothing else I was doing different. Except it was maybe just a complete mind change. I yeah, don't know. Mindset change. Yeah, so a paradigm shift. And so I started losing weight. So that was, you know, about um, September 2012. So, um, you know, 12, 13 years after the accident. And I started losing weight. And a, a friend put me on to Shannon Potton, you know, from the, you yep. might know, from The Biggest Loser. Um, and he had these online eight week challenges. Yes. Right. So put me onto that. So I signed up for it. It's like, well, what have I got to lose? And that first challenge I did, I ended up winning um, with the most percentage of body mass loss over the eight weeks. Well done. Um, thank you. Uh, it was hard work. And during that time, I actually, like, because I didn't like talking about myself, what I was doing and that. And he said to me, oh, I want to know a bit about your background. You know, what? So anyway, I wrote to him on Facebook and I wrote, a whole bunch of stuff where I've come from and what I'm doing and why I'm doing and all that. And I didn't realise, because I was new to Facebook back then, um, I didn't realise what I was actually doing was I was actually writing it on the Facebook page, uh, you know, oh, the, the page on that actual... went to, on his thing that went to everybody. Don't you love social and media? Then I had, oh, yeah, no, not really, <laughs> but anyway. And so I had all these people, like, so, you know, responding, oh, my God, that's so good, and all this stuff. And I went, oh, I'm really sorry I didn't mean to do that. I'm going to take it all down. And all these people were saying, no, 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 we want, to, we want to follow what you're doing. And it was like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, we want to just follow the thing. So anyway, I kept on doing his challenges for the, about the next four or five challenges. And I did you know, really well. I lost all I weight. I ended up losing probably almost half my body weight wow. at that stage. I got down to 78 kilos, probably a little bit too low. I'm not much but, less than that. <laughs> so, and know, I'm not six foot tall. Yeah, so... <laughs> But so, you know, I did, and I, I have gone up to uh, the probably uh, the mid-80s to low-90s. It fluctuates. I don't really concentrate on it now. But I met a lot of people during that, uh, people who are still friends now. Mm-hmm. And then in 2013, looked at, you know, what else I wanted to do? I started, I taught myself how to run. Um, and, you know, people say, well, why don't you get a coach? I said, well, you know, I need to do things on my own. I like to be able you know, teach myself how to do stuff. Taught myself how to run was running and then it was really like 
road running. It's really boring. Oh, it's like yeah. marathons. You know, I've done City to Surf once, and it was like, hey, it was great, but it was like boring. Yeah, you know, it's like I got to the I got to the top of um, I got the, to the top of Heartbreak, I, yeah. Heartbreak, and I did burpees at the top of Heartbreak because it was like oh, I'm bored. I need to do something, you know, because it's like boring. It's, it's like yeah, okay. So someone went away. Oh, what's yeah, he doing? Yeah, pretty much. And it's like yeah, you idiot. You know? Hey, yes, yes, that's me. No shame. No, absolutely none, none whatsoever. So um, and then I sort of sort of looked around what else I could do and. You know, my it was funny because my um, Facebook profile picture was a Spartan helmet. Mm-hmm. Like ever since I was at, at high school, I had always liked the Spartans. I you know I did you know some you know the ancient history and that. I looked at Spartans and I loved that whole the warrior ethos and, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, you know, looking at you know, obstacles, obstacle courses. You know, because the military do obstacle courses and everything that about an obstacle course. Even though they have races now, they're obstacle courses. It's all based on the military, and it goes like back centuries. You know, because mm. you train people how to get over a wall or how to get under a thick, under something or through something. You know, to actually be able to take on the enemy and so all that sort of you know like anyway so my um the the spartan helmet is my icon on facebook and then i see this thing called a spartan race and i looked and went a spartan race oh what's this thing you know i saw that in late 2012 spartan race what the hell's that so i had a look at it and it was like this this new race that was coming out of the US and the first one was in um, early 2013 mm-hmm. uh, in Melbourne. I missed, I couldn't get down for that one. So, but I signed up for the Sydney one in the February, um, and then went and did a thing called Beach Bash, which was a bit of an obstacle course on a beach somewhere up on the Central Coast. I thought oh, I want to see what this obstacle course racing thing is all about. So I went and did that one. I loved it. It was great. It was like you know some, you know, uh, blow up. You know, obstacles and that kind of stuff. And why you had to get over, you had to climb walls and things like that. Oh, this is awesome! It's like running, but there's stuff in the middle of the running. So you'd run, then you'd do something, then you'd run, then you'd do something. And it was excellent. So I then I get to um, Spartan Race in uh, February of 2013, uh, the seven kilometer sprint, um, and I know I'm going to die. I just, uh, just uh, I've actually taken video at the thing. I'm, I'm going to die. It's going to kill me. I'm going to die. Um, but that's okay. As long as I know I'm going to die, I'm happy with that. You know. <laughs> so I, I enter this and I, and I meet this guy because you know, I know Shannon Potton uh, from Biggest Loser. I know uh, Steve Willis, who is uh, a lot of people would know as the Commando. And Steve is there. Oh, Steve, how you going? So, oh, bull, how are you doing? You know, we had a bit of a chat and all that kind of stuff. You know. And I said, I'm just going to, I'm going to die, but that's okay, you know. So he said, yeah, you, you enjoy that. So off we went, we're running. Um, the two weeks before that, I started drinking daily beetroot juice, which is really good for the, the lungs and, and, you know. And I'm running and I'm laughing and I'm going, oh, my God, this is so much fun. I'm, I'm killing it out here, you know. I'm just, I'm loving it. It's awesome. So I did this Spartan race and we're climbing over walls, we're going under nets, we're doing rope climbs, um, we're swimming through dams. This was in, in Picton, mm-hmm. really the home of Spartan in Australia. And it was the first real big race, you know, and so I, I loved it. And then all the afternoon I volunteered, you know, at, at the rope climb. So there's a mud pit and you had to climb out of the mud straight up the rope, you know, and I'm, you know. And ever since then, I think in the seven years of Spartan race since that time, I think I've missed three events. Wow. Across Australia and the US. So that started my love affair, I guess, with Spartan Race and the obstacle racing community. 
Um, it's not like anything else. It's a little bit, if you think of like the Olympics, you know, the modern decathlon where you've got the, the 10 yeah. different events, it's sort of like that because you need to be able to run. But you also need upper body strength because you've got to do things like pick up um, 55 kilo dead balls. You've got to be able yep. to carry things. Um, you need to have dexterity because you've got a spear throw. And so you actually have a spear that you throw at a target um, and over a period, over a, a distance. So if you miss any obstacle, you fail any obstacle, you get 30 burpees. So it's chest to ground, jumping in the air. Um, so it's 30 burpees. So the object is you know, to make sure that you get the obstacle. You know, you need to be fast enough to be able to run and have the endurance to be able to run over the distance, the upper body strength, the lower body strength, because you've got to be able to jump walls mm. and you're up to 10 foot walls. So, you know, the, the technique of being able to get over a wall. Um, and there's, so there's a range of different obstacles you've got within the Spartan race. Mm. And the Spartan race community is like, unlike anything else, it is this huge family. Like you get one... So it's a community that you become... Yeah, yeah, it is. A and, part of. Yeah. And I mean, you talk to people who do Spartan Race and it's like there are people who go, they know bull. And I have this, uh, I had this thing that I started doing uh, a few years ago where literally I would, from the movie, you know, the 300, um, you know, Spartans, what is your profession? But scream it out at the top of my lungs and everybody responds, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> and it's in the dark, we're going to registration and it's completely pitch dark at, you know, five o'clock in the morning in winter. And all people can see this. You can see a few head, head torches around with people coming for early registration. And all you hear come out through the darkness is, Spartans, what is your profession? <laughs> and the whole place just responds. Nobody can see anybody else, but they just it respond. sounds like amazing. And it's, you know, we're out on the trail. And I've had people tell me, you know, I'm out on the trail and I'm, I'm, you know, five or 10 k's away from the festival area, you know, on a mountain somewhere and I'm running and I'm feeling tired. Oh, my God, oh, maybe I just want to quit. And then they, see, they hear this come across the valley. You know, they hear me call out this, this warrior call and they just respond and it picks them up and it's like... Pull out here. I can keep going. You're getting emotional. Yeah, That's I know. wonderful. I Jim Bullard, or Bull, is in the studio with me today telling an amazing story of his life. And we've just been discussing the Spartan race. But do you have a death wish? Death wish? Well, a death wish, I, I wouldn't put it quite like that. I mean, I've been doing the, the Spartan race for a while, and there's, you know, you've got the, the sprint, the super, and the beast, which goes up to, you know, like 21 kilometers, and then the ultra beast, which goes to 42 or 50 now, it's the ultra. But above that, there is this thing which was started by Joe DeSena, who is the CEO of Spartan Race Australia, started before I think Spartan Race came around, peak races, the death race. Yeah, well, you made me read about this, and I'm going, oh my goodness. He's crazy. Well, that, I think that's already a given. That's a <laughs> clinically crazy. Yes, but is that a is that a real um, diagnosis? Clinically crazy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> I do stuff that a, a lot of other people just uh, don't want to go out and do. Um, I was the first Australian to go and do the Spartan Ultra Beast in Vermont on Mount Killington. Um, and then um, a friend of mine backed up and said, look, you, know, you didn't manage to get your buckle from that race. He said, stop moaning and groaning about it, harden up and come and do a death race with me. And I went, oh, okay, what's that? Let's have a look at that. Basically, the death race 
you don't know generally exactly when it's going to start or exactly when it's going to finish, how long it is, how far you're going to go, or even what you're going to do. But they say that um, with Death Race, the, uh, the moniker for it is You May Live. And they say that um, everybody dies, but not everyone lives. And Peak Races and the Death Race is a resolve factory. How far can you do? What can you do? You know, what is your mental capacity? You know, Death Race is physical as well, but... A lot of the time, you know, you might not be physically capable to finish one thing, but if you can mentally keep on going, that's the killer. That's the key, really. So, death wish, no. But my wish is to be a pathfinder. Do those things that other people, especially Australians, because we're so far removed from the rest of the world, a lot of events don't come to this country. So, I sort of looked at that and went, that's a step along the way that I'm going. I'm doing some of these really weird things. And, you know, I started doing um, ocean swimming in 2015 with my coach. And it's like the ocean scares the crap out of me. Death race scares the crap out of me because you don't know what's coming. You don't know, am I going to fail two hours in? You know, am I going to go all that way and, and not be able to, you know, show what I've got? Am I, you know... Um, my first, I actually have done death race before, 2015. So I am now considered an old guard death race. Um, and um, I lasted 24 hours before I got a knee injury. I actually fell down a culvert uh, on a roadside and did my knee, some damage to my knee. And for the next week or so afterwards, you know, I throw, every now and then I throw the crutch away and go, I'm just weak. I should have just kept going. I could have kept going and I'd take two steps and then, stop and, and a tear would roll down my face and I'd say, can you give me my stick back please? <laughs> and because I had done some, you know, some soft tissue damage to my knee and I had to pull myself out because it wasn't a serious injury, it wasn't a break the medics, they'd say, well we're not going to pull you out, you've got, to, you've got to withdraw so I had to actually say I am not finishing, I am pulling myself out. I wanted someone to say you're done, you're out. Oh, thank you. You know, but <laughs> No, I had to actually stop there and say, no, I'm done. And that was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do, was say, I can't go on, you know. Um, but I learned so much from that. And I learned some of the things I've learned from all the, the, the um, events that I've done is that we only learn when we're in pain, when we fail, when we don't do the right thing. Oh, yes. That's I mean, the learning curve. The whole Pavlov's dog thing. It's like, you know, you, you learn when you're, when you're in pain. You know, if you get a child to put their hand on a, a hot stove, they learn very quickly. They burn themselves. They'll never do it again. If you say, if you put their hand on a cold stove and say, if you put your hand on that and it's hot, it'll burn you. They don't learn from that. They mm. go and they'll, they just don't learn. Um, you know, when we had pop, our first pot belly stove in the house, combustion stove, the guys, when they actually said, we said, we want to put a grate around it, they said, the only people who ever burn themselves when they come into the shop are the adults. Kids don't because they get close enough and it's, oh, that's hot. I'm going to stay away from that. Adults don't because they go, no, I know that's hot, but I can handle it. Oh, my God, I just burnt myself. So we learned through pain. So death race was pain, but it was also um, cathartic. And I have met... Can I get emotional again? <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. laugh when you get emotional, and I'm not getting yeah. emotional with you this time. I have met some of the most incredible people 
in the events that I've done, in Death Race, in Spartan Race, um, and, you know, people who are, oh, my God, these people are phenomenal athletes, you know. Uh, on Death Race 2015, I was... In Team 3, so there was 160, it was over 380 people registered, only 160 turned up. At one point we were in the, in the what we call naked and afraid <laughs> um, section. Where, I don't even want to picture that. Well, we were in our underwear. Oh, thank God for on that. The, on a mountainside without any of our gear. Uh, and for, 20, uh, for about 15 hours we ran over the Bloodroot Mountains in Pittsfield, Vermont. Um, and I had not trained for that, and nobody else had. And it was just like, take all your clothes off, leave your jocks on, put it all in your packs. Okay, let's go. And it was like, oh, my God. So we're running, and I'm with a, t- a group of nine other people tied together on a 100-foot rope, and we were team three, and we were running, sprinting up the Bloodroot Mountain. Oh, my God. I'm with – I'm over 50, and I'm with these young, fit, athletic people, this Canadian chick in front of me, really tight <laughs> – don't say Cheeks. it. Yeah, we know. Yeah. And it was like after the first five minutes, the scenery was like all I was interested in watching where my feet were going on the ground because I had stones and sticks and, and thistles and all that that I had to sort of negotiate while we are sprinting up the mountain. And I have a bond with those nine other people that I don't have with anybody else. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Josh Fiore won the Spartan Ultra in Iceland the first time. It was two years ago. He won that first race. He was in my team. He was two in front of me on my team. Jesse Jamnik, uh, Alex Stavdal, is, he actually was the only finisher of the GORUCK selection a couple of years ago. Um, so have a look up GORUCK selection in the US. Um, the, some of the people who were on that team, I, I still talk to today. You know. So... Um, it's, you don't know when it's starting. You sort of turn up, okay, start's going to be at 10 o'clock tomorrow, but you need to be at the, um, at the dinner the night before to get some information from it. On one of the years of Death Race, um, they, we, people actually turned up to the dinner and they said, okay, so the only thing you need to know about tomorrow's race is go and get your packs, we're starting now. And it's like, it's 12 hours until it starts. No, get your packs, we're starting now. They will turn around. Don Devaney, Jason Barnes, they're some of the race directors. Joe DeSena, who, who started Peak Races, which is the Resolve Factory. Um, they will turn around and say, um, Bull, just quit. Just quit. Quit now. Don't start. Just quit now because, you know, you can't finish. Just quit. They're, tr- they're getting into your mind. And there are people that just go, you know what? I'm not having fun. I'm going to quit. You know what? I'm not going to Death Race to have fun. I'm going to Death Race... In July this year, I'm going back to Death Race 2020 because part of me has a um, unfinished business. Um, I've, you know, I want to get back to some of those people that I've met, some people I've never met that I want to be around. They're the people I want to be around. You know, yeah. They're the people that help drive me, that help me to drive other people. Can I just say something? You said about, you know, that's exactly what you did to that young boy or young man in hospital when you said, yeah, go back to your room, you can't do this, a plank. Yeah. Exactly the same thing, a bit of tough love. Pretty much. I mean, over my time of, of death race, of Spartan race, we also run these things called Hurricane Heat, which is part of Spartan race, which is about a four-hour or a 12-hour activity where you, know, you do some, some things that's actually at the race, but usually the day after the race yep. to help pack up and all that, and they're team-building activities. We had one gentleman, um, Tim, um, 
I love this guy to death. He, he is he is a champion. We were at in Picton. It was it was a few years ago in Picton, and part of the the activity was we had these torsion bars. You've seen these like a big heavy steel bar, and we had to pick them up and carry them. And then and I was part of the I was um, I'm a cryptayer, so I'm one of the like the directing staff, if you like. And we had to take them all down to the dam to wash them because to get the mud off them before we packed them away. He got to the dam. He said, "I can't go in there. I, I have a." a manic fear of the water. Like, I can't get into anything more than ankle deep because he had a near-drowning experience as a child. I got him in, into waist-deep water. I had him looking at me the whole time. He was petrified. And I said, all we want to do is get you in here. You're going to look at me. I've got you. I'm holding on to you. We're only going to go in this deep. We got down, or maybe even chest-deep water. And there's a photo of him. I'm just talking to him. I'm looking him in the eye. I'm saying, look at me in the eye. Look at me. Somebody else was washing his torsion bar. You know, he was just standing there holding it, but I had him do that. That man has gone on to take swimming lessons. Mm. He went to Iceland when the, the year Josh Fury ran and actually competed um, in um, the Ultra in Iceland. Um, he's gone on to do so many things. And I just look at that and go, you know what? That's why I do the things I do, because you see one person that you can change their life. Yeah. Um, I can see how passionate you are. And look, honestly, I've loved today. And before we go, first of all, you have a fear of you didn't want to come on radio, did you? Why are you here today? Okay, I'm here. One of the requirements for Death Race to actually, like, because I'm registered for Death Race in July in Pittsfield, Vermont. Um, and one of the requirements stipulated by Don Devaney and Jason Barnes, the race directors, is you have to be published somewhere. You have to be in media somewhere. And this is one of the biggest fears I have is going onto media and saying, hey, look at me. This is me. I don't, want to, I don't like talking about me. Because it's like, it's embarrassing. It's like, that's not who I am. So this has been very uncomfortable. Probably almost as uncomfortable as one of the big ocean swims I've done. Well, can I tell you, you have done extremely well. It's an amazing story. I'm going to put out an invitation after you've done the death race in July. July, this year. yes. Will you come back and tell us about it? I'll come back and I'll give you the blow-by-blow encounters that we had on Death Race. Fantastic. I've loved talking to you today, Jim. And I'm going to ask a question I don't normally ask people, but I think I'm going to add this to my show. Do you have one word that would describe yourself? Unconventional. Unconventional Jim Bullard. Bull. Thank you once again, and our listeners, I hope you really enjoyed this interview, and we'll be following the death race in 2015. That's all we have today from Aging Fearlessly. Jim, do you want to say goodbye? Uh, Look, it's been interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it's been more than interesting. It's been been awesome, and it's been an experience, and hopefully I've grown from this. Thank you. Cheers, everyone. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, 
Aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in your eye. It's not all nine to five. It's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high. Swim across oceans wide. This treasure that you've got to find, baby, don't be shy. Let's go and take that ride. Taste the sweet and the spice, everything else. Let your heart be alive, baby, just let your heart come alive, honey. Let your heart be alive. 